It's Tuesday the 1st of December. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee. How are you Shane? Afternoon Timmy, how are you buddy? Yeah, no, I'm really good. We've got so much to talk about today. Of course, we're going to kick off shortly with what's happening with the Australian cricket team. Does It really does look like David Warner is in a race against time. We're going to talk to John Thompson. He knows everything about motorsport. Daniel Ricciardo blowing up at the TV broadcasters after that horror crash. Steve Menzies is joining us to talk all things footy, including a microchip in a ball. Would you believe it? It's going to be quite a big one. Well, let's start with the cricket because, uh, look, tell us more about David Warner. You know him well, Shane. A groin injury in his early 30s. It does not look good. The groin injury is probably one of the worst things you can endure as a cricketer. There's a lot of sideways movements when when you're playing cricket, particularly running between wickets. I can honestly see him missing the whole summer of cricket here, which will be a huge blow for the Aussies, yeah. And, And there's a big year ahead too, isn't there, beyond what happens here in the Australian summer? Look, look, there is too, and it's um, the Australian cricket team is just gaining momentum again now, with all all, all the players back. Uh, you know, they, they're looking to really start to, to dominate, leading back up to the, to the Ashes next year. You know, he's going to be a big blow, but it will give the likes of Pekoski a chance to get in the Australian team and maybe get some experience under his belt before, say, the next big series. It's one of those sliding door moments, isn't it? And and it happens in sport. It's part of the magic of sport. And we've been sort of talking all summer, should it be Burns? Should it be Pekoski? It's your thought process that it should have been Pekoski. We never thought it would happen at the expense of David Warner. No, definitely. And um, look, as I said before, I think the, the, the young kid's got a lot of talent. It's good to have a you know, most of our senior players are, are post thirty now, so it's a real chance to get a twenty-two-year-old there with some fresh blood, and off the back of good form as well. We're not just picking a young guy because because of his age. We're going to pick him because of form. Um, it's always to have a young guy coming the team with good form under his belt bodes well for the uh, for the future of, of, of the young prospect. Yeah, and the bottom line is the very latest that we're hearing about David Warner is he's gone for the white ball summer. So basically that's the one day Australia's going to Canberra tomorrow to play a one day. Then there's a T20 series, so he's definitely missing that. And this test match in Adelaide, well... You know cricket better than me. That is a couple of weeks away. It's like the 17th of December. Yeah, he's going to struggle for the first test at least. As I said, they won't want to rush it. If you re-injure a groin injury, that could be career-ending. So they'll be very, very cautious when they bring him back. But knowing that you know, he's 33 years of age, I think, now, and uh, he'd be wanting to play at least another probably three years. So rushing him back may not be the right answer. One of the really good things from an Australian cricket perspective is – the rich amount of talent coming through Green, Pekofsky, and there's many others. Yep, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Green. I think Cameron Green, West Australia, is a genuine all-rounder. We haven't seen one of those for for a real long time. The, the, the kids averaging under 21 with the cricket ball and over 46 with the cricket bat. He's he's a super talent, very good fielder, uh, moves very well in the field, can catch apparently. I'm a big fan. I'm pushing. Cameron Green for the for the number one the all rounder for the Test series this year. How good does it feel? It feels like life's sort of almost getting back to normal. There's cicadas in the air, sausages sizzling on the barbie and the cricket coverage, and the Fox Sport coverage has just been absolutely exceptional, hasn't it? It has. It's been really refreshing. Um, my brother Brett's doing a good job. He's just out of isolation. I mean, you got Warnie there. It, it's it's really enlight- it's lightning. I think. Um, look, it, it's it's going to be an exciting summer. A, a colleague getting a few runs the other night. You know, India have got some really really talented batsmen. 
and they will want to walk away from this test series in Australia with the win on their belt after losing the one-day series now. Yeah, and the TV ratings the other night uh, just show how there's a real hunger amongst the Australian public to get cricket because, look, I think what I read was that the, the ratings for that particular one-day game on Sunday were higher than the World Cup. Yeah, that's right, Timmy. The ratings were through the roof. It, it shows that during this isolation period, people have been starved of sport and they're really looking forward to a cricket of summer, which we all are. Yeah, well done to Steve Crawley and his whole team. Brett Lee sounding brilliant. Now, just a, a quick health check. How is Binger? Of course, a, a difficult time in India because uh, he was there when Dean Jones passed away. How's he going? Look, he's going okay. He found it really tough, the 14 days in isolation, getting back from India. But it was a tough time. Now, the Dean Jones death happened at the start of his trip and he pretty much had to go straight on air. He's pretty resilient, Brett, but it was a real... You know, tough experience for him actually implementing the CPR on Dino. But, you know, Breton, Breton tried everything he could and, um, you know, it's a real shame. And, and Dean Jones is a huge loss. Yeah, God rest his soul, Dean Jones. And we look forward to chatting with uh, the great Binger over the next few days. This is Afternoon Sport. We're going to be back talking motorsport. What about that crash in Bahrain? Uh, years ago, you would think that there's no way a driver would get out of that. We're going to talk to a man that knows everything about motorsport, John Thompson. This is Afternoon Sport with Shane Lee and Tim Gilbert. And boy, oh boy, what about the race on the weekend, the Bahrain Grand Prix? The highlight or the low light for many, many people, but the thing that got most of the attention was the fiery crash involving Romain Grosjean. Now, a man that knows everything about motorsport is John Thompson. I've been talking to him for years about F1 and supercars and other things, Shano, but uh, he joins us on the line. How are you, Tomo? Well, good day, mate. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, the most amazing thing about the, the crash was the fact that Romain Grosjean was able to get out of the car and walk away from it. And he literally did walk away from it. He actually jumped over the fence to be helped by uh, the FIA medical delegate, Dr. Ian Roberts, uh, who was rapidly on the scene, I've got to say. But look, if that accident had have happened even four years ago, Romain Grosjean would probably be you know, revealing his obituary right now because um, the advent of the halo system on Formula One cars, the sort of ring of steel that goes around the top of the, the cockpit, titanium in fact, is what mainly saved him. The car, as I mentioned, uh, hit the fence, but it punched a hole through the Armco fencing and yeah. the car broke in half. And that's another testament to the integrity of the Formula One chassis these days. The actual cockpit, the, the driver cell, was able to remain intact. And that meant that he uh, was able to uh, get out of the car. He has sustained some burns, minor burns to his legs and hands, which is not surprising given the ferocity of those flames. John, they're saying that the crash impact was around 53G. What what does that do to your internal organs? It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, luckily, Shane, I haven't actually encountered a 53G yeah. impact, so I don't really know, but I wouldn't have thought it would be great. Um, you know, we talk about rugby league players um, suffering concussion and, and they talk about NFL players with their helmets mm. um, being an issue because obviously the helmets don't give and uh, the impact is inside the brain, so... Um, look, the longer-term effects, who knows? But 
least the very least he was able to walk away and, yeah. and only had minor injuries. But I would imagine they'd be they'd be pretty severe uh, implications for his internal organs. Yeah, and, and the bottom line is, you said you, four years ago that uh, you know he would have been lucky to survive. Go back decades, and when Formula One was just starting, it, I remember seeing that documentary, The Killing Years. You, you would almost lose a driver a weekend, John. Well, in fact, Tim, if you go back to the start of Grand Prix racing in 1950. There have been 55 drivers killed in that time, and most of those happened prior to 1980. If you remember, in 1994, when we lost Ayrton Senna uh, and Roland Ratzenberger at Imola at the um, San Marino Grand Prix on, in May 1994, it had been a long time, I think about 12 or 13 years uh, before that to Elio De Angelis. But up to 1980, there were a massive number of people killed in Formula One racing. And the yeah, real shape remover behind stopping that carnage was Sir Jackie Stewart, who in 1972, um, after he'd won, uh, well, just before, in 1973, sorry, when he won his third world championship in that year, his teammate, Francois Savet, was actually beheaded. Uh, he was actually decapitated in a, in a Formula One race. And Jackie Stewart said, enough's enough. I'm walking away from this. And was really the shaker and mover in getting safer tracks, safer cars, and all of the things that, um, that have actually reduce the the fatality toll in formula one racing which has got to be a good thing it's not a blood sport it's not um coliseum although obviously a lot of people tune in to see the the crashes but um you know the racing is really what it's all about and if you can make it as safe as possible then that's great a lot of people resisted um including a lot of um a lot of drivers Romain Grosjean was vocal in uh voicing his disapproval of the halo because a lot of them say it actually ruins your sight lines in the car but as I said before, if that halo hadn't been in place on Romain Grosjean's car, he probably wouldn't have been uh, talking about it afterwards. So um, those sort of things, the, a lot of people talked about the halos disrupting the sort of the, the lines of the car and making them look ugly. Well, you know, the prettiest Formula One cars of all time, in my opinion, were the late 60s. And that's, they were the cars that killed the most people. So mm. you know, I think we've got to actually uh, have some, uh, some reality here. Some real respect for the halo there. Um, mental health is a big thing these days, not only in sport, but across all businesses. Well, what does the F1 do for the recovery and re- rehabilitation for someone like Roman? Um, good question, Shane. Um, I think they're doing a lot more now than they, they used to. You know, if you read the memoirs of, of great drivers like Jack Brabham, Jackie Stewart and people like that, really they're antidote to a weekend of, of you know, carnage on, uh, and a death was to suck it up and walk away and hope that it didn't happen to them. The, the, the mental trauma that that must have dredged up for them uh, would have been enormous. Mm. But I think a lot more work is done these days with sports psychology in Formula One like it is in every sport and particularly with people like Lewis Hamilton, Dan Ricciardo, all of those guys have got, you know, sports scientists and um, sports psychologists working with them to... Yeah. Uh, to actually improve their their brain skills, their concentration, their focus, but also, obviously, their ability to cope with trauma like uh, we saw on Sunday. Yeah, unbelievable. Just finally, John, uh, and thanks for joining us on Afternoon Sport. We will talk to you regularly as uh, as we progress forward in Formula One and the supercars and everything else with the Brum Brums. But uh, Daniel Ricciardo, he was blowing up. He was going off like a frog in a sock about the broadcasters showing the actual accident on loop in that hour where the race was stopped. 
Yeah, he was. And look, you know, part of me sort of, I'm a huge Dan Ricciardo fan. I think he's, um, you know, one of the best drivers out there, very close behind Lewis Hamilton. I think it'd be a great thing to see Daniel Ricciardo in a, a Mercedes alongside Lewis Hamilton because I think you'd you'd really see some great uh, team battles there. But getting back to uh, how he, he blew up, you know, part of me says, well, um, yeah, look, we understand the fact that uh, that he's, um, uh, you know, got those sort of issues with the, the fact that they're replaying the um, the crash so many times over and over. But what's the television broadcaster to do? The broadcasters actually held off showing the images of it until they knew that Romain Grosjean was, was actually okay. Mm. They had an hour to fill. It's a very difficult thing. I know Dan Ricciardo was standing Absolutely. in the pits looking at the monitors and saw those images being displayed all the time. Look, it's a difficult equation. Tim, you've worked in TV. It, you know, it's a, it, it's a movable piece that's got to be filled all the time. So it, mm. it is a difficult question, and yeah. I sort of partly empathise with Dan Ricciardo, but also I empathise with the people trying to put the pictures to air. Tomo, thanks for joining us on Afternoon Sport. Absolute pleasure, Tim. Shane, thank you for having me, and I look forward to uh, speaking with you again. Thanks, John. Good man, mate. Coming up soon, we will speak to Steve the Beaver Menzies, one of the greatest rugby league players of all time. They want to put microchips in footballs. I can't believe it's Afternoon Sport. Great to have your company on Afternoon Sport and uh, even better when you've got one of the greats of rugby league on the line. Stephen Menzies, how are you, bud? G'day, boys. How's things? Hello, Beaver. How are you, mate? Hope you're well. Good, good, good. Shane, yourself, you're doing well. You look good there. Mate, you're, you're a very attractive man yourself. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> yeah, let's talk, uh, let's talk about the microchip, Beaver. Uh, look, uh, what are your thoughts on the whole idea of of uh, this thing that they're looking at. Graham Annesley, uh, I saw some commentary from him on the weekend. They're looking to put this almost Jetsons-like microchip in the ball so they can look at forward passes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, look, it's one of those things where I think people are genuinely excited about the opportunity because the forward pass is a, it's a hard. Does it come backwards out of the hands? Does it? It's allowed to travel forward because you are running forward. So there's all these different interpretations. Um, I think if there's technology there, we need to try and have a look at it. Um, the thing for me is how they're going to use it. As long as it's used in the correct manner, I think it's something we need to look into. They might get into it and say, look, it's not up to spec at the moment. Or they might say, look, this is the technology is there. It's accurate. Now, how do we implement it the best to serve the game? Yeah, I think I know the guys at Spartan Sports have been looking at this for two years, are putting a little microchip in the ball um, to measure distance, how many times the ball rotates or spins. Do you think it'll actually make advancements to the game or not? Look, I think it will. I think there's all little technologies. You know, you go to golf and track man and things that they, they brought yeah. in when people had to hit draw shots, how to hit fade shots. In the old days, they just look at the ball and say, this is that type of shot. But then the technology... You know, I think Bryson DeChambeau uses it to, mm. you know, to like a, a four-degree driver and launching it high, low spin. These types of technologies can affect you know, how players see the game, how they train and get some advancements in certain areas in, in that particular game that, that haven't been looked at you know, previous years. Yeah, there's no real excuse for our golf game, is there, when there's all that technology around hitting it in the water all the time. Uh, but uh, look, what do, what do you think? Look, we've gone back to one referee this year, obviously, under, under different circumstances with the pandemic and so on. It, it seems to have really streamlined the game. How much has technology helped the game of rugby league? There's been so much drama in and around bunkers and microphones and video replays. 
Yeah, I think it's been good. I think there's still yeah, any system you have. There's some people aren't going to like it. I think I really like the one referee. Yes, it's tougher on them, but we need to use technology in the earpieces with the touch judges, with the bunker, control, assisting them. Yeah, being their eyes and ears, the things that they can't see because the game is it's a different beast than it was 20 years ago, let alone 40 years ago. So to use these technologies, I think it's good. We just need to implement them correctly. But I've, I've really enjoyed the, the one referee rule. Beaver, how long do the boys get off now um, before the pre-season starts again? Yeah, some of the um, young boys are back training now. Some teams are back full-time. Sort of mid-November is when a lot of teams start. Obviously, the season was pushed back a little bit, so that's probably postponed another week or two. I know the State of Origin boys, I think they've got off till after New Year, so that's a good break. Uh, normally about six weeks. It's not much. It's it's still pretty hot when you go back to training. Now, you're a finance broker these days, mortgage broker. You'd be busy, wouldn't you? Money's so cheap at the moment. Yeah, look, it is, mate. It's um, yeah, You get 1.89, 1.97%. So it's um, business is good. I'm working hard for the for the puncher out there, trying to get them the best deal um, to take on the banks. Any, any plug for the business there, Beaver? Citywide yep. Home Loans. Call the beaver. There it is, citywide. He'll look good. after you perfectly. I'll look after you. Get you, get you the best rate, definitely. You're a good man, mate. All right, beaver. Well, well great to talk to you. It's just great, I think, uh, in so many ways that we had a year of rugby league because at one point we thought we were going to get nothing. Uh, you, you must have been happy as someone that works in and around the game and was a great of it that we, we saw a, it was a bit jumbled up at times, but we got there, the origin at the end of the year. It was good. Look, I think it's one of those years that – it's been difficult for everyone on the sporting field and off the sporting field. But the thing that's really impressed me with rugby league is the, you know, the commission, they set a date, they said COVID. It was one of the first sports in the world to get back to playing professionally and being a leader in that area and really sort of earmarked what the, the potential has for the NRL and what they can do. Um, and that part was exciting for me. And you know, I think everyone can be, uh, even though crowds weren't there, there were got a bit of crowds and um, State of Origin, they got a full crowd. It was, um, I think everyone was so happy to see rugby league out there first. Um, yeah, and all in all, it was a great competition. Good on you, Beaver. Thanks for joining us and uh, we'll let you get into your day, buddy. Cheers, legends. And, and Shano, that, that's an interesting one because rugby league hasn't always been the leader, has it? It's been a follower for so long. So it was a real landmark moment for rugby league when they, they charged ahead during the pandemic, led by Peter Volandis. Look, Peter Volandis, he was amazing, wasn't he? Um, I wouldn't mind Peter Volandis actually running Cricket Australia at the moment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that seems to be a little bit rudderless. But um, look, uh, yeah, rugby league are at the forefront at and, and, and people need it. People need it. In the pandemic, um, there wasn't much to look forward to, and, and sport gave people just a little bit of relief, which is really, really important. Yeah, we might have a look at the drama around cricket at the moment because there's a big drama with them and Channel 7, so uh, uh, we don't know where that's going to end. But that is another afternoon sport. It's been good. First day of December, first day of summer. Summer, bring it on, boys. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. It is Afternoon Sport. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you goes out to John Thompson, Steve Menzies. Thank you to our sponsor, O'Brien Beer. And, of course, thank you to the great producer, one of the wonders of the world, Dan McHugh. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon with your daily dose of sports news. We'll see you there. Be there.